good, everybody. Welcome to episode number 54 of the Gold Standard Podcast. Shout out Fred Warner. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. What's up, Levin? I'm ready for week one. Is it Sunday yet? Oh, God, we're so close. This is awesome. We have real <laughs> football tonight. It's not preseason. It's not practice. It's not the stupid Hall of Fame game. It's an actual game that counts. I cannot wait. It's just not Niners, but it, it will have to do until Sunday. But, I mean, it's a game that has implications for the 49ers. Look, seven playoff spots were decided on the last game of the season, or last week, I should say, of the season last year. And it's Bucks, it's Cowboys. They're going to be competing, you know, in the NFC for playoff spots. So the Niners have, you know, there's some reason to watch if you're a Niner fan. I guess theoretically you'd be rooting for the Cowboys because you would assume that the Bucs would have a better record. So if the Cowboys win, that makes it easier for San Francisco to get the number one seed. I think that's one of those games. I, I just hope it, it somehow gets canceled and neither one of them get a chance to win, like not even get a tie. Because <laughs> I don't want to root for Tom Brady and I sure as hell don't want to root for the Cowboys. Maybe they can like both. They'll get a tie and both starting quarterbacks will, uh, you know, get suspended for conduct detrimental to the league. How about that? I don't even wish injury upon them. You know, honestly, I think I would probably have a slight preference for the Bucks, and I'll tell you why. If they win, it's status quo. If the Cowboys win, suddenly it's going to be nonstop headlines of Cowboys are real contenders. <laughs> You don't show emotion often, but the disdain in your voice came through there. You're well, you hating. know it's going to be that, you know, they're the New York Yankees of football. They get one little itty bitty positive win and suddenly they're world beaters again for the media. And that will continue until they lose back to back games and they get proven wrong. Just want to point out the Dallas Cowboys have not made an NFC championship game, let alone the Super Bowl, just the NFC championship since 19. 1995. If you're new to this show, we give you the hot takes that generally come from me and the cold truth that generally comes from Levin on all things 49ers. We got a lot to get to today. Kyle Shanahan spoke to the media yesterday. Jimmy Garoppolo spoke to the media. We finally found out the damn starting quarterback, even though Kyle Shanahan still didn't want to go there. There's more injury news on Jalen Hurd. Shocking. And uh, we've got some predictions. We've got some Lions preview. We have a bunch to do today, Levin. This is what happens when you get to the regular season. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Well, let's have a tangent at the end of the show for 10 minutes so we can fill the show. It's how are we going to fit everything in? We never do that. How dare you? All of our content is scintillating. <laughs> uh, it's never planned. We have never once said, all right, we get to the end and just make it up. But yeah. Pretty much all offseason, that was our shtick, I guess. We get to the end of the pod, and suddenly we're talking about something completely unrelated. And then we bring <laughs> it back at the end. <laughs> Personally, I blame you. All right, well, then let's get down to business. Uh, we'll start with Kyle Shanahan. He was asked about who the starting quarterback was. Here's what he said. I'm not going to answer that because I feel like all you guys got to do is look how I've talked since July 27th, I think it was my opening day of press conference. Um I almost wish I wasn't being hard-headed with it, but I feel like you guys are being a little hard-headed to keep asking. I feel like I've already answered it, so um, we'll keep it at that. I'm just I'm just tired of this stupidity, Levin. Like, what, what is the mystery? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo got up to the podium, and the first thing he said was, I'm the starting quarterback. So, like, what is Kyle doing? What is the point of this? Like I said, he is Bill Belichick, but he does it with a smile rather than a, you know, f*** you face. 
<laughs> I've seen that face. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's really what it is. Kyle's not going to give the media anything. He is, in general, annoyed. He has to be there in the first place. But he passes it off as kind of like, uh, oh, shucks, you know, let me smile while I'm telling you to leave me alone. I just, I find the whole thing to be weird. Like, we're going to find out. Like, what do you, you really think that the Lions are going to, like, take all this time to prepare for Trey Lance? They're going to be totally discombobulated by you not revealing your quarterback situation? They're the Lions. They're discombobulated anyway. They've been up for 30 years like it's not gonna stop now yeah I, I i don't know like there's no real point to it but there's also no point to him giving it up which i think is what he's doing he's just being stubborn on it like we get it you don't want to give anything up but at this point trey lance isn't even a full participant and it's very clear he's not going to start Right. Like, exactly. So you're not tricking anybody, Kyle. Uh, we should point out that Trey Lance was a limited participant in practice yesterday, which is good because Kyle has said in the past that Wednesday is the day that things get really serious in terms of game planning. So the fact that Lance was able to be out there at least partially was a good sign. He was gripping a football, Evan. He was touching a football. He was throwing a football. A couple of people said he was throwing it with good zip, I believe is the word that they used. So I have to say I'm slightly more optimistic than I was on Wednesday, or I should say Tuesday when he wasn't practicing. What do you think? Do you think he's going to be active for this game? I think he'll be active, but I think he'll be in a role that Kyle is hoping he doesn't have to use him. I think Kyle is not going to put him in right off the bat. I think he might run like a normal first series, and if they can get up 7-0, then he's going to run a second normal series. And if they can get up by double digits, he'll probably just tell Lance, like, there's no reason to risk it. We're not going to show the world what you can do until we need to, you know, save all these run plays for next week. Why show the opponent, you know, something there's no reason to, I, I think that's what he's going to want to do that. He's going to hope he doesn't have to use them, but if things are close, you know, even if they're up, but are close and, you know, they didn't, you know, they only got a field goal on the first drive, something like that. I, I, I think he would probably use him, but I, I just don't see the point. This is sort of the frustrating thing. Let's say, for example, that Kyle was not really going to do the two quarterback thing, right? Like Jimmy's in there and he's kicking butt and the Niners are scoring. You may be looking at the schedule thought, hey, this could be a game where the Niners are up like three scores in the third quarter. Maybe Kyle throws Lance in there, you know, number one, to keep Jimmy healthy, number two, to get him some snaps and get him kind of used to the NFL game. Well, you can't really do that if his finger is not 100%. So that kind of gets taken away from you. And if your plan is to ease Lance in at some point this season, you know, that takes away, the injury takes away one of the opportunities possibly to do that. I mean, I would also say that Jimmy is about as slow of a starter for a quarterback as you can get. Like he has not done well in the early weeks of every single season, including 2019. So he needs to play the whole game. You know, you can't, oh, we're up big. Let's pull him out and not let him get into his rhythm. Well, they obviously am not concerned with Jimmy Garoppolo's rhythm. <laughs> but don't forget, Levin, this is not the same old Jimmy Garoppolo. They have sold us this narrative all offseason. And Kyle did it again yesterday that this Jimmy Garoppolo is the best Jimmy Garoppolo we've ever seen. Even though we haven't seen him look any different in the preseason game, and even though he's thrown a load of interceptions in practice, they're telling you this 
is the best Jimmy we've ever seen. So he's going to be good because that's what the 49ers have been saying all year. We'll see. Uh, th- there's no other way to put it. I think his practice numbers are somewhat concerning. They are worse than normal years. <laughs> uh, but it is still practice. So, I mean, we'll see when they get into the games, see what happens. It is a There is an argument to say that Jimmy Garoppolo is being pushed now and he knows it. But at the same time, he's never really looked like the type of quarterback that when he gets pushed, he responds well. I mean, this is a quarterback that the moment he gets hit, his happy feet return. <laughs> but sometimes before he gets hit, if he gets pressure, his happy feet return. If his first reads not look, I'm trying to be nice and calm. <laughs> I hope that let me just say for the record, I hope Jimmy Garoppolo plays well. I hope he's better than ever. I want the 49ers to win and I want them to succeed. What I cannot stand and what gets me mad is when I feel like we're being fed a line of bull. And I think we have been fed a line of bull. And that's why I'm frustrated. I'm not rooting against Jimmy Garoppolo. I just think that we're going to see the same guy we've always seen. And even yesterday, once again, Kyle just throws in that he thinks Jimmy Garoppolo is in as good a spot as he's been in, is basically what Kyle said. I mean, the stage is there for him to blossom, but... We are both skeptimistic about the ability for him skeptimistic. to. I don't know if that's a word, but I love it. I love that. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I just made that up. Apparently, I don't know where that came from, but I just I don't think he's going to be any better. I think 2019 is the best we've seen. If he's 2019 level, I'm all for it. But I will say this. If the offense is struggling against Detroit, Jimmy might be a one week quarterback. Like, if he can't move against Detroit, I don't think Kyle's going to have much patience for that. Detroit probably has the worst defense in the league. This The stage is set for him. He should have a great game this week, right? Like, the Lions are not known for their pass rushers. Who's their best pass rusher? Trey Flowers? Like, okay, I'm not really staying up nights because you have Trey Flowers. He should be able to drop back when he does, scan the field, go through his reads, right? Like, everything should be good for Jimmy Garoppolo. If he doesn't look good coming out of this game, then I'm really going to be worried. Like I said, it could be a one-week thing. I don't think it will be, uh, but I think there is a possibility. Like, Kyle would have to look at it as, this is about as easy of an opponent as we have, and he struggled. It's best to just go to Trey now. Yeah, I agree, especially because you got a, a softer landing, a little bit softer against the Eagles in week two, and then you go to Sunday Night Football at home against Green Bay, as we all know. The other thing that we heard yesterday in the press conferences was Debo Samuel, who said, and this kind of surprised me, that this is the best he's felt in his 49ers career, including his rookie year. Do you think that is a line of bull? Um, I guess I would say I don't think he's lying. But when did he get hit? That's why he feels the best. <laughs> I mean, it's true. He he didn't get to do much in preseason. Uh, I think probably by design, saving him. And uh, in, in practice, there's not much contact. You know, they're not full on hitting and tackling. So, of course, he feels the best. He He's not gotten hit. I hope he can stay. I mean, obviously, I hope all these guys can stay out there. It's so frustrating to always be thinking, if they could <laughs> just stay healthy, if they could just stay healthy, if they just had all their guys, like, at some point, you just have to accept, like, 
with this Jalen Hurd situation. The 49ers, and I don't even want to say the 49ers because I think this is a total Kyle Shanahan thing. They cannot quit Jalen Hurd. Find someone that loves you the way Kyle Shanahan loves Jalen Hurd. This is year three, Levin. We have yet to see this man on the field for a single snap in the regular season. And the 49ers are sticking with this guy, no matter how many major injuries, no matter how many major surgeries. Kyle said today that Hurd is now, or yesterday rather, that Hurd is now a candidate for IR, which means he's going to be out at least three weeks. Like, by the time this guy gets on the field, he's going to have to be Randy Moss to make up for all this time we've spent waiting for him. I, I feel torn on this. Would I be upset if they cut him? No. Like, at a certain point, you got to cut bait. But at the same time, it's the same point that I made last week when you were upset he was on the 53-man. What did they lose? Like, oh, no, Web Webster, a guy that couldn't even make the Rams rotation at wide receiver last year, got picked up by another team. Oh, horrible. Like, they didn't lose anything. He, he's a he's a sixth wide receiver. He's a luxury. He's a guy that wouldn't necessarily dress on game days anyways because you don't necessarily dress all six receivers depending on where you're at health-wise on, on the other ones and how much they're going to play in special teams. So I, I don't think it's really uh, a, a big criticism criticism thing for Kyle like you kept him because there's a lot of potential it didn't work out you didn't really lose anything because of it you lost anyone else that could have contributed any one single thing because Jalen Hurd has not done that so even if it was one guy that was going to make one tackle in one game that's what you lost like I'm, I'm sorry I have no tolerance for just carrying Jalen Hurd like it drives me crazy give it up Kyle it didn't work out you took a swing Maybe he was going to be awesome. Maybe we have no idea. Not nobody bats a thousand. Sometimes you draft dudes, it doesn't work out. And just admit it. Like, what are we doing here? Like I said, it's not really hurting to put him on the IR. Uh, I mean, they could always go out and get Trent Taylor. <laughs> I'm sure Trent Taylor will be available. God, I think he still is, right? I don't. I, I know. I, he I haven't heard anything, but I haven't actually. You know, gone out of my way to look it up because I don't really care. Because who cares? <laughs> exactly. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into, I want to give Levin credit because he made the prediction of all predictions that came true last year. And then we're going to get into some NFC West preview. Levin's got some notes on some of the other squads. And we'll do all that when we come back. Back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin, it's prediction time. And I want to give you credit. Because last year, you predicted that no 49er would be over 1,000 yards in anything. Obviously, passing yards excluded. Raheem Mostert didn't do it. George Kittle didn't do it. Ayuk, Debo. I thought the Niners were going to be a really, really strong offense last year. You nailed it. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. Uh, I don't know how attractive my fat ass is, but <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been on a hot streak and it's going to come to an end sometime soon. But I mean, if I'm smart, that means you got to be smart because you brought me on board. Yeah, that, that's my claim to You're fame. smart by association. <laughs> Are you willing to make the same prediction this year? Mm, no. Which means, I guess, I'm making the prediction somebody will get a thousand yards, and the reason why I'm saying it somewhat hesitantly 
because it gets back to what you just said before the break. If they stay healthy. I think if Mostert stays healthy, he's in for a big season because the package with him and Trey Lance is unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, the the track star speed of Mostert with the hesitation that Trey Lance demands the defense have on the edge is unstoppable. So if Mostert can play even, I think, 14 games, he's going to have a thousand yards. I think he's going to be getting 80 plus yards consistently this season when he's actually playing. But that's a big if. So it's kind of like hesitant. But then I think if IU can play a majority of the season, he would get a thousand yards as well. But that's also a big if because he's already dinged up. Yeah, he's nursing a hamstring already. The stuff about Lance and Mostert, though, like if you go back and look at it, it is crazy. All the linebacker, if the linebacker freezes for for a half a second, just to just to double check and see, like, okay, does Lance have the ball or does Mostert have the ball? They're done. He is so fast around the edge. And the 49ers have the athletes, McGlinchey, Juszczyk, the guys that can block in front of him, that can get out there quick enough. I don't know how defensive – they're going to have to either sell out to stop it, in which case Lance is going to have tons of room to run on the backside, or I don't know what they're going to do, Levin, because it's deadly. Well, I mean, there's a wrinkle here that I haven't really seen anybody mention, but it's the third possibility of that. You know, the, the two obvious possibilities are give it to Mostert and let him get the edge. And the other one is Trey Lance keeps it and then goes up the gut. But the third one is if the defense is just playing 100% to sell out, that means to stop the run, that means they're not going to be able to get back and have deep coverage with safeties. Like that's the way I think you can try to cover both runs is by having the safeties come up and take care of the middle so the linebackers can go and get the edge. The problem is if you do that, then you just make it a play action like he's going to run the option, and then he drops back instead and throws a deep pass. Like that's the third option. And I think Kyle is obviously smart enough to know when the defense has made an adjustment to be able to get enough people in there to stop both the outside to Mostert and the inside to Lance, that's when you call the pass play going back to, you know, like a post going from the left side if they're running to the right. How much of that do you think will be designed plays by Kyle and how much will be him saying to Trey, hey, you just read and react out there. You you have all three options on every play and you check, you know, does the defensive end crash or, you know, is that all the defense crashing to stop the run? And we'll leave it up to you whether or not you want to chuck it deep, keep it or give it to Moster. I would lean towards it will be called by Kyle. I think it takes a lot for him to trust a quarterback and I don't see him capable of trusting a rookie, at least right out the gates. But I mean, really that that's the one thing we've heard is that Trey Lance is kind of a savant in that. And if he truly is, I think once you've earned Kyle's trust, he's willing to let you make those choices. But the only quarterback that Kyle's ever coached that's probably done that is Matt Ryan. And even that's somewhat questionable. The crazy thing is when you get even a competent quarterback performance in this offense, like amazing thing things happen. The 49ers went to the Super Bowl in 2019. Matt Ryan was in this offense and won an MVP. And Aaron Rodgers was in this offense last season with Green Bay and won an MVP. So like the potential is there. And I I just hope that we see it. I hope we see consistency. I just don't want the quarterback, whoever it is, 
to be the reason we're saying, well, Kittle would have had a better year. Ayuk would have had a better year. Debo would have had a better year, if not but for the quarterback. Right. And, and the one you forgot there is Ryan Tannehill is suddenly one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league running this offense. He also plays in it. And actually, two years ago, the year that he took over, he was one of the most efficient seasons ever for a quarterback. I think he averaged something like 10 yards per pass. At <laughs> well, when you've got Derrick Henry just mauling people, that helps too. But no, you're right. Like, it can work. It just needs to be consistent and the the plays that are there need to be made i I laugh here because uh we could also say jared goff got a hundred million dollar contract because of this offense (laughs) yeah and then got shipped off to how about jared how'd you like to be jared goff like all right things have soured with you and sean mcveigh it's just not working out you know what jared we're gonna trade you we're trading you to detroit oh gee that kind of sucks who do we play week one Fred Warner and the 49ers. He's got to be like, damn it. I can't get away from these people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's hard to feel bad for him considering, you know, he's number one overall pick and has the big contract, but he's got to know. I mean, maybe there's denial that comes into this there. I mean, there's certainly a certain level of ego to be able to in confidence in yourself to be good at this level or to even make it to this level, but he's got to know by this point that there's no <laughs> effing sucks. way yeah there's no effing way that he is good enough to elevate that team with a coach that it thinks that it's still you know well you get the biggest guys and you go win i agree with you uh the, the 49ers should totally handle the lions the only way that the 49ers don't is if they turn the ball over and give the lions multiple short fields because i just cannot see them putting together even maybe one I'll give them to be nice one 12 13 14 play drive going all the way down the field and scoring on the 49ers I don't see them doing that more than once in this game for the Lions to be able to do anything I think they would probably need either a completely blown coverage some some kind of big mistake or more likely a special teams play they get a big return early to give them confidence get going but, I mean, they're just outclassed across the board. There, there's not a single thing in this game that the Lions are better than the Niners, and there's really not much that they're even in the same ballpark, talent-wise. You know, you said special teams play. You're giving me flashbacks to week one last year when the Niners are in, totally in control of that game against Arizona. All of a sudden, they get the block punt, short field, touchdown. That swung the whole game. That's uh, something weird like that would have to happen. I completely agree with you. Yeah, the difference is there's no little freaking Energizer Bunny avoiding all these sacks. <laughs> Jared Goff will get sacked if they get the pressure that they were getting in that game. That's you know, Tyler Murray true. elevates that offense a lot because he avoids so many bad play calls and turns it into something. Well, let's go there then because we wanted to talk about the other teams in the NFC West. Let's start with Arizona since we were just talking about Kyler. I don't have any confidence in their offense whatsoever. I think their defense is is competent, is pretty good, actually. Like, I, I don't want to criticize their defense. The problem with the Cardinals is that Cliff Kingsbury's system stinks. And the only reason that they do anything, I feel like, is Kyler Murray. And he has talked about that, how he wants to grow this year within the structure of the offense. Because in his own words, he said, basically, kind of like the only time we moved the ball was when I did it last year. And he wasn't wrong. Yeah, Cliff 
King uh, Kingsbury's got a smaller playbook than I could have in five minutes. <laughs> like he literally runs the same plays over and over. I remember seeing a statistic. It was late in the season, not quite the end of the season, where DeAndre Hopkins had literally run a five or ten yard out on like 70 of his pass routes. <laughs> to the point that DeAndre Hopkins actually said something in it in the middle of the week that he wants to run a more diversified tree because he's capable. Like it literally is essentially calling out his coach, like, what the hell are you doing? You literally trade traded for this blue chip receiver and you're going here, run the same route over and over. And that's just that's the problem. I think Arizona with good coaching would be a really tough team. I think they they would be a team that if things broke right for him, they could win as many as 12 games. The problem is, is Kingsbury, like you said. Uh, even with Kingsbury, they were 13th in offense last year scoring. Problem is, I don't see how they could improve on that. The only way they possibly improve on that is if Rondon Moore is some crazy good rookie, which it's possible he is an athletic freak, but I just don't see him elevating because he's you know he's only like five seven, so he's the type of ridiculous offensive weapon that a coach has to be good enough to give a game plan that gets him the ball in his hands because he's electric after the catch yeah. that gets back to Kingsbury defensively you know when I when I went looking researching the first thought I had was well their defense has to get better because Chandler Jones only played a few games last year and they signed JJ Watt but then I went and looked at it they were actually third in the league in sacks last year yeah it's not likely to improve so they, that, that yeah. was the one saving grace they lost Patrick Peterson I don't think that's a huge loss. Uh, and, you know, it's a bigger name than actual talent anymore. But I don't think that defense is really going to be better than they were last year. I think this is a team that's looking pretty much like last year's team, where if they get a couple lucky breaks, I could see them getting a wild card. You know, they went 8-8 eight and eight last year. I could see them getting to like 10-7. and seven. But I could see them also having some bad breaks and being – six and 11 or something like that. You know, I, I just don't, I don't see the ridiculous upside because Kingsbury is going to limit them. I agree. And they start out the season against Tennessee. That's going to be just a physical, physical game. Then they go Minnesota, Jacksonville, the Rams, the 49ers and the Browns. That's a rough start to the schedule. If you're Arizona, there's some physical games mixed in there. I think the Rams game is obviously going to be tough. 49ers will be tough. The Browns have one of the best rosters in the entire NFL. Like it could get ugly early in Arizona. Let's go to Los Angeles next since we just snuck them in there as well. I think the Rams are the favorites to win the division. I've said it many times. I think Matthew Stafford is going to be an absolute monster when you combine him with Sean McVay. That's probably the thing you and I differ on the most when it comes to the NFC West because you are not a Stafford guy at all. (laughs) I think their defense will take a couple steps back. They've lost some starters. They're not as deep. They're not nearly as deep as the 49ers just because of the way their team is kind of structured. They have a lot of good top-end talent, but because of that and how much that costs, they don't really have the guys behind it. Uh, I just think that they're going to be able to make up for those shortcomings offensively, and so I have the Rams as the favorite to win the NFC West. I think who's the favorite is a toss-up between them and the 49ers, which Seahawks fans won't like to hear, but we'll get to them in a bit. The Rams, so they're by far the most notes I have because I think there's a part to this that nobody's really looking at because everybody's looking at the Rams and going, 
Well, they were 10 and six last year and they added Matt Stafford. They got a huge upgrade at quarterback. So they're going to be ridiculously good. Well, the problem is, is that they were an average defense in 2019. They brought in a new defensive coordinator and Brandon Staley, who was so ridiculously good that he became the head coach of the San, or not San Diego, the <laughs> Los Angeles Chargers. They lost him. So how far are they going to fall back to what they were? Because in 2019, they were, I think, I got seven. Yeah, they're 17th overall in points allowed defensively. And they went all the way to number one with Staley. Virtually the same defense. You know, they added Ramsey halfway through that 2019 season. So that is a, a big change. But it's not enough to leap from 17th and points allowed to first. Right. It's not like one cornerback was allowing all the touchdowns and then they got right. Jalen Ramsey and he locked a it lot down. Of that, a lot of that is on Staley. So you got to look at who replaced him. And th this is where I got a laundry list of things because who replaced him? I don't think people have really looked deep enough into Raheem Morris as a defensive coordinator. Now, there's not much to look into because he was actually only a defensive coordinator for five games. And then Dan Quinn got fired and he got promoted up to being the interim head coach for the remainder of the year. But I got, I got to say like the five games he did, if you look at them, they're really bad. And th listen to this. So in those five games, he, he was the defensive coordinator. The first five games, he gave up 38 points to the Seahawks. They averaged 29 on the season. He gave up 40 to the Cowboys. They averaged 25. Now they lost Dak. They didn't, you know, they still had Dak in that game. But they gave up 30 to the Bears, 30 to the Packers, 23 to the Panthers. Overall, they gave up 32 points per game. In the 11 games that he was the head coach and a former 49er, Jeff Ulbrich, was the defensive coordinator. Yeah, Jeff Ulbrich. They only gave up 23 points per game. They improved by almost 10 points per game when he stopped being the defensive coordinator. So how good is he really? And if he's not a really, really, really good defensive coordinator, there's going to be some serious regression to that defense, probably to at the least the level that the offense gets better. This is the other weird thing, and I just found this out uh, listening to John Middlecoff's Three and Out podcast. Raheem Morris is going to run Brandon Staley's defensive system. McVay wanted to keep it the same because they were so good at it last year. But the problem with that is he doesn't have any experience coaching Brandon right. Staley's system. So instead, it's like a, it's a weird situation because usually like you bring in a defensive coordinator. He knows the system. He has to then teach it to the players. Well, in this situation, the players know the system and he's the one that has to learn the new system. That is. That's weird. Maybe it'll work out. I have no idea, but like, it's just not the normal thing that we see. So you're right. I think that there are some, some red flags with the Rams defense. Right. And the cherry on top of all this is yes. And the, the five games that he coached, you know, they had the Seahawks and the Packers, you know, those are two pretty good offenses in the 11 games that Jeff Ulbrich was the defensive coordinator and gave up more than nine points less per game. They played the saints twice the Bucks twice, and the Chiefs once. So half the games that he was the defensive coordinator, they played the top three offenses in the league, and yet they improved by that much. I, I think Raheem Morris is going to be a disaster as the defensive coordinator. So you think that cancels out any bonus they get from Matt Stafford? Right, and you know I'm a little lower on that than others. So I, I, I'm not convinced the Rams are better. Where is Jeff Ulbrich coaching? That's what I want to know. I think he's, he's the he, defensive coordinator for the Jets. Wow, yeah. there you go.
Robert Sala got him. Right. So he he is going to be because he was a uh, understudy of the person that Sala was an understudy of. So he runs a similar system. Um, so that that's a good spot for him to have landed, uh, despite the Jets likely not having the best of defenses to work with. But it will be really interesting to see how much Jeff Ulbrich really improved that defense and how much Raheem Morris getting the reins and getting, you know, the, the other guy out of the way when he was fired allowed Morris to truly run the defense he wanted. You know, it could be that. It could be that Morris was being hamstrung until he got to be the head coach and then him and Ulbrich really ran the system he wanted. That is a possibility, but it just doesn't seem likely. And Raheem Morris has been around for a little while as a coach, and last year was the first chance he got at the NFL level to be a defensive coordinator. There might be a reason for that. Well, that's a fair. uh, We don't know, uh, by the way, because Dan Quinn's a defensive head coach, so you're right. He may have had, like, his system of doing things, and, and, you know, when you're an assistant coach, you – obviously follow the head coach's lead we'll find out look i hope you're right i hope the rams defense does struggle uh, although it never seems to uh affect the 49ers that much the 49ers have had success against the rams it's it's a weird i always talk about it on the nfl show for sb nation it's a weird triumvirate the 49ers always beat the rams the rams always beat the seahawks and the seahawks always beat the 49ers it's just a weird system in the division it is it's really kind of around robin where every team has a different team's number. It is very odd. Do you think that that holds up this year as we transition to the Seahawks, who most of the time, let's be honest, if we're going to be objective, kick the hell out of the 49ers? (laughs) I don't think so. It is certainly possible. But I think this is the year that the Seahawks are finally shown for what pretty much everybody has said they are, including Russell Wilson. That they are a team devoid of talent outside of Russell Wilson and a couple of receivers. And that's why Russell Wilson has been screaming to high heaven lately to get him better talent around him. And that's why I think the Seahawks are likely to finish in last. What? Behind the Cardinals? Dude, last year, yes, they were 12 and four last year. You know, they won eight games by one possession. Now, you could argue that that's the effect of having a true elite quarterback, which in this in this division, he's still the only unquestioned elite quarterback. You could make yep. an argument that Stafford will get there. You could make an argument Murray will get there. But at this point, it's still only Wilson. And yes, an elite quarterback really does make up a difference. But they were 12-4, and four and they were outgained last year. They gave up more yards than they gained. That's oh, their ridiculous. defense is trash. It's ridiculous that they were able to go 12 and four that way. And there's a lot more to it. You know, the Niners outgained the Seahawks offense last year. <laughs> God, that's pathetic. They outgained the Seahawks offense by 10 yards last year. I was dumbfounded when I looked at that today. When I yeah. was re- researching, I literally was like, well, wait, wait a second. The 49ers with Nick Mullins and Andrew Jimmy Garoppolo and CJ freaking Beathard outgained the Seahawks with Russell Wilson. And that really is part of the problem to me. They were outgained so much that it really doesn't back up them being as good as their record was last year. They were 17th in yards gained, but eighth in points. You know, that doesn't normally have a big discrepancy like that. 
that's an uncommon thing to have that big of a discrepancy. But it also went the same way defensively. They gave up the 22nd most yards, but only the 15th most points. Both of those are more likely or are likely this year to come back closer to what their true talent is, which is the yards. The yards is more representative than points because points tend to be a little bit more inconsistent. It's a bigger sample, yeah, with the yards. I will say, I think the Niners gained a lot of yards in garbage time. There were some blowouts last year, so they were able to pick up some cheap yards. But, I mean, if you look at the Seahawks roster, it's interesting. They start with Indy. That's going to be a physical game. Indy's defense is really, really good. Then they go Tennessee. That's going to be another physical game. They're in Minnesota. The Vikings defense kind of stinks. Then they go San Francisco, then they go the Rams, then they go Pittsburgh, then they go New Orleans. That is as tough an opening schedule before the bye. They also have a game against Jacksonville right before the bye in week eight. But that is a brutal schedule for Seattle. And I'm interested, Levin. There are some teams in there. Indy, the Rams, obviously. Pittsburgh has led the league in sacks for four straight years. First team to ever do that, by the way. You know, Russ is talking trash about his offensive line. He's going to face some pretty stiff pass rushes if he starts to get hit and get sacked. You know, all this happy vibe that he spent time building up this preseason after trashing the team in the offseason. Like, does that go away? Does that become an issue again for them? It very well could. I mean, I, I think this is a year that we could look back on in a few years and go, that was the end. That was when the Seahawks window officially closed i think it is closed i think that last year they weren't really a 12-win team they had a lot of, like i just said they had statistically a much more average season you know i think pro football reference they take like all the statistics in and say based on all this this is what their record should have been and i think it was 10 and 6 and i would ask you how did they improve yeah that's a fair question they didn't have really anything in the draft and they didn't improve they didn't go out and get a big free agent, really. They they haven't improved, and yet they have a defense that is only getting older. Bobby Wagner is only going to get worse. He's not going to get better. And offensively, you could argue, okay, well, maybe Chris Carson will be healthy this year, so they'll, they'll be better. They actually had a pretty darn good run game last year. They actually ran for more yards than the Niners ran last year. They ran for 2,000 yards as a team. So they had a pretty good run game last year. I think you could say that DK Metcalf could be better, but I agree with you in terms of like additions. It's, it's not really there. They're kind of just running it back and, you know, maybe they're thinking, Hey, get to the playoffs and maybe Russ can make this thing happen again. I just, when your quarterback seemingly has one foot out the door and you can say that Russ can say that things are great and that he never wanted to be traded, but I've never heard of a player that didn't want to be traded while simultaneously putting out a list of teams that he would play for. So like that is a thing that happened. And I just feel like this could be the end of the line for Russ. And if they face adversity and you've got one foot out the door, I cannot see that ending well. And the Seahawks are going to have to decide if they want to pay Russell Wilson 40 to $50 million. And, and I don't know that they necessarily do. I, I, I don't know that right now. So this could be uh, kind of a last dance vibe for Russ in Seattle. Although I am not like you. I am not willing to say that they are going to be last. I think that's nuts. Well, we got to make predictions. And this is, of all the divisions, I think it's the hardest to pick. Because I think 
if the if they get lucky breaks, every single one of these teams could get to up to 11 wins. You know, I think some teams could get higher. I think the Rams and the 49ers could get higher if they get the lucky breaks. I think that's probably the peak for the Seahawks and, and the Cardinals. But there's also, I think every team could also be eight and nine, seven and 10. I mean, the Niners went six and 10 last year due to injuries. Well, those same players are still here, so it's possible, <laughs> you know, and at least this time they have a decent backup quarterback situation, so it shouldn't happen again, but it just happened. You know, the, the uh, Rams, they had the second healthiest team last year, according to, you know, the, it's a formula based on like, it's not just how many weeks did players miss, it's weighted based on how valuable they were. You know, Aaron Donald missing a bunch of games is much more valuable than his backup. Um, they have the second healthiest team. What if they have an injury prone year like the Niners had or just towards the bottom of the league this year? Well, that means they're going, they went from, they were 10 and six last year. That means that they might struggle to win nine games if they have more injuries this year. You know, I, I think all of these teams are going to be in the running almost all year. I don't think any of the teams are going to be eliminated from a division title chance until late in the season. It's going to be so much fun. I would much rather have the 49ers be locked in this battle all year long than like the other team, like the Rams and the Seahawks immediately fall out of it. And the Niners sort of take control by default. Like I like the fun years and it, it's great to go 13 and three, like back in the nineties, you knew the Niners were going to win 10, 12 games every year. That Steve Young, they had Jerry Rice, they had George Seifert. Like before the season started, you knew it was like NFC Championship game. And those seasons are cool because it's always fun to be good. But then there are other seasons. I think of like the 2011 season with Alex Smith and Jim Harbaugh, where the Niners are winning games, and you're like, I kind of can't believe they're. Is this really going to happen again? And they keep winning games. Like those are the super fun seasons, and that's the kind of year we could be in for this year. I just want wins. I don't really care what the other teams do. I just want wins for the Niners. That, that I mean, that's really what it boils down I thought there was to. more there. That's a... <laughs> No, it really boils down to the fact that if the Niners are winning, the other everything else will take care of itself. If the Niners are winning, well, they play six of their games against these teams. Spoken like a, a head coach. <laughs> All right, Levin. So Every team it. controls their own destiny oh, right God. now. I hate that expression. <laughs> You cannot control your destiny. By definition, it is your destiny. It is out of your hands. That's what hey, destiny hey. means. Nobody even knows if they're going to be alive on Sunday. So Yeah. Kyle <laughs> Shanahan. I've been consistent talking about the quarterbacks. Really? Because you told me Jimmy Garoppolo could be dead before training camp starts. <laughs> oh, God. Well, all right, Levin. The next time we talk, the 49ers will have played a game. They will have a record. Like, we're in it now. We are in the soup. Hold on. You're not going to make actual predictions here? I have not heard you talk about number of wins or anything like that that teams could get. Oh, well, you you're should try, you're, try, you're trying to skate by so that you're not going to look like an idiot in two months. False. That is false. <laughs> if you listen to the Gold Diggers podcast with Michelle Majuk, we actually went through the schedule game by game, and we are both on record that the 49ers are going to win 11 games this year. So that is my official prediction, 11 and six. And I guess I had to do the quick math in my head to make sure that added up to 17. That's where I think the 49ers. Isn't that annoying? No, it's, that is it's so annoying. It, 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 
drives me nuts. Like that, that's going to probably bug me for the next decade. <laughs> they haven't touched the schedule in like 50 years, but I'm still mad about it. But I think that I'm trying to be like as, you know, kind of conservative as possible. So I had them at 11 wins. I think, like you said, I think that if they get a couple breaks, they could easily be up in the 13 or 14 win range, especially given the schedule. But I'm trying to, you know, like hope for the best plan for the worst type of thing. And I really think 11 wins is where they'll end up. And if they get 11 wins, they're going to be one of the top seven teams in the NFC, which means they're making the playoffs. And then all bets are off. You give me Kyle Shanahan able to game plan for playoff games, and I I think the Niners would have as good a chance as anybody to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't disagree. I think the Rams and the 49ers have the highest ceilings in this division. If somehow Raheem Morris can keep this defense being really, really good like they were last year. Last year they were number one in points and number one in yards. If they can do that and Matt Stafford is what I don't think he is, which is blossoming into an MVP type quarterback, then yeah, they they could easily win 14, 15 games. I think the Niners, if they have great health, they could win same amount of games. So I think it's going to be a really interesting season. And I think really what's going to determine it, it kind of sucks to say, but a lot of times when you have really good teams, what determines it is who gets the fumbles to bounce right into their hands. That is a much bigger factor than people realize. That's why turnovers are not consistent year to year. Because the damn football is shaped like a, <laughs> I don't even know, oblong. And it goes crazy. I agree. Like, even when you're really good, I've always said the stars have to align. For you to make the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, even the great teams have to have weird stuff go their way. And there's no amount of preparing that you can do for it and no amount of coaching and nothing. Like, Literally, I think back to the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes drops back. Nick Bosa strips Patrick Mahomes. He fumbles the ball. If the ball bounces the opposite direction going towards the end zone, Bosa's going to pick it up and score because there's nobody in front of him. Instead, the ball bounces back towards the line of scrimmage, right back to Patrick Mahomes. He gets the ball back. Like, Bosa did his job. He won the rep. He got to the quarterback. He stripped the ball. You just can't control which way it's going to go. And unfortunately, it went away from him. And I think that that, you know, that game is totally different if Bosa gets that ball back. I mean, it's also totally different if the refs do their job and call <laughs> holding. We can't go. All, I didn't mean to take us. all. I, I'm, just back saying, there. I'm just saying that's actually quite a big factor. You know, well, I, I always think back to the early years of the Seahawks when they used to with Browner literally mug receivers oh, yeah. at the line of scrimmage and yep. dare the refs to throw the flag and they wouldn't because they were chicken and they didn't want a game taken over by penalties that's literally what it was they might get one or two fouls called on them for pass interference or illegal uh touching but that's it and if you can manhandle the receivers at the line of scrimmage every single play and only get a couple penalties it's well worth it and that's literally what they used to do and that means the refs were deciding the games they didn't they thought they weren't by not calling it but they were because they weren't calling it and holding is one of those things Sometimes the refs are going to call the holding because there's pretty much holding on every play, and sometimes they're not. And that is a pretty big factor. I have to say, I always kind of respected that about the Seahawks. Like, they found their way to win. Like, this is what we're good at. And they were like, hey, let's see if they'll call flags every play. And if they didn't, then they got to have this crippling, suffocating defense. I always kind of respected that a little bit. I'm not going to lie. 
I mean, I was always kind of jealous of it. Of like, why aren't more <laughs> right. teams doing this? Right. Go get corners like Sherman and Browner, who are huge and can just bully the receivers and dare the NFL to say, all right, if you want us to stop, you're going to have the most boring, most hated NFL game in NFL history because it's going to be nonstop flags. And the NFL won't do it because they are all about what's best for TV. And even if you do something like that, the league may catch up to it the next season and say, hey, we're going to crack down on this, and they may change they the way they, they do said stuff. That. They literally said that as multiple points of ref, uh, emphasis for the first two years, two off seasons after the Seahawks emerged, and they wouldn't do it. They still wouldn't do it with the Seahawks. But even if they did, you still get away with it for that first year. So, like, I kind of understand teams pushing the rules a little bit, but we'll see about that. We're, we're done, Levin. Like, we're here. It's game week. I'm going to have my, I don't know about you, but I will have my three H's, Heineken, Hot Wings, haagen It's my Sunday ritual. I will be planted in front of the television. The feet will be up. I will have my notebook with my three pens. I have three different color pens, so I take notes for different teams and different colors, and that's it. For the next 18-plus weeks, my Sundays are filled. That is wonderful, but I want to end this podcast on a rant. You say I never show emotion. You're about to find one guy that instantly pisses me off every time he's in the news. And that's part of what pisses me off. Did you see who talked about the 17th game? Brett Favre. Yeah, that douche. <laughs> like, I, I have no problem. problem. I will call him everything in the book because he's flat out racist. I do not like, I hated Brett Favre because he played for the rival, but then he turned out to be a real racist. And he's proven that time and time again. So my rant is, one, you wanted a 17th game. Like, he literally came out and was like, I wish I had a 17th game when I played. You have the NFL record for interceptions. Shut the hell up. How far did you want to push that record? <laughs> like, literally, you have the NFL record for most interceptions, but you're nowhere near the NFL record for most pass attempts. So how far did you want to push a very dubious record that, by the way, is not likely to ever be broken because interceptions are less and less? Like the progressive pattern of passing has been interceptions are less and less, mainly because coaches have learned more and more the value of not turning the ball over. So they don't have tolerance for interceptions. But my other thing is stop putting the microphone in front of Brett Favre. He's not a good person. He's proven that time and time again. He literally took money from the government for COVID relief, multiple millions when he doesn't have a business to use it for, but he just claimed he did like stop allowing him to be in a microphone. He's the type of person that should have been canceled long ago. You realize he has a show on Sirius XM NFL radio, right? I do. It's <laughs> ridiculous. I did not know of your hatred for Brett Favre. Well, like I said, he played for my rival and he was competing for MVP. So there was a natural. The hell out you know, of the I, I don't hate players that play for my rivals. I just don't like them. You know what I mean? Like just general, they play for my rival, so I don't like them. But then everything he's done and post-retirement and, oh, by the way, in his I'm going to retire, not retire thing, just took it to a whole new level. I mean, the guy has literally had multiple quotes that are no question racist. I don't understand how he's not been canceled. Well, he also was sending, uh, let's call it junk mail, so to speak. To that people. should have been the end of Like, if that were to happen today, his career would have been over. I don't know about that. He did win like three MVPs. 
his career would be over if that happened today because one, it would have been made more public. Two, the woman that it happened to didn't feel as comfortable pursuing it. You know, she tried to have it die. Jen Sturger was her name. Because she wanted a career in the NFL. I think in today's world, she would have the confidence to have said, no, this jerk did this and he shouldn't be around anymore. And there's the whole, you know, there is a cancel culture now. People are more willing. There's a mob mentality of when somebody is truly worth being canceled, they do it. They join together and do it. And I think that's great. And I think that would have happened to him. And he was at the end of his career. It might be different if he was just winning the MVP and he was like 28 years old. Because then the NFL gets into the whole, well, I don't know. This guy could make us a lot of money. But he was at the end of his career. It would have been over. Not going to lie. I didn't see us going Brett Favre on today's show. (laughs) Yeah, I I saw that headline of Brett Favre wishes he could have a 17th game. And yeah, that's instant. Like, you know, the meme where the little minion or whatever turns like instant devil with fire coming out of his head. Cause he's so mad. Yeah. That, that's on. me. Hold on. Minion. I know it's that, not an actual minion. He looks like a minion to me. That's from inside out. One of the yes, best Pixar movies ever. <laughs> have you not seen it? I have seen it once. Wow, wait till your daughter grows up. You'll be watching it. Uh, that, that That's Moana right now. And also we'll good. See, we'll see where she gets. I am definitely the type that not everything's going to be on the table. Yeah, okay, we'll here's our real, real side rant. Frozen <laughs> is not on the table for my daughter. Yeah, Why? that movie stinks. Because the main character literally tries to kill her sister, and then it's supposed to be the hero. F that. Yeah, but they hug at the end of it. Oh yeah, like, she literally <laughs> tried to kill her sister. Like, what are we doing here? Why? Is yeah, she sent that big person? snowman after her, right? Yeah. She literally tried to get her thrown on. Like, I think there was like a cliff or whatever. Like, I literally watched the movie once and was dumbfounded. Like, how the hell is Elsa a Disney princess? And how is she seen as like a hero that everybody wants to to see dressed up and, and get a doll of? Like, she's a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had the fancy dress. What can I say? All right. That was a weird way to end <laughs> our last podcast before the first regular season. It's almost game. like we're two guys with daughters. But I okay, that's where we were. Anyway, enjoy the game, everybody. If you haven't subscribed to the Niners Nation podcast network, I swear we don't usually go into these strange places, but sometimes we do, and we hope you come with us. So please follow after the game on Sunday. We will be doing an instant reaction podcast. It will stream live on the Niners Nation YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere you could possibly Rob, hope to get it. Rob might actually send me the link this time so I can get in. Maybe, or maybe I'll just let you beg in the comments like I did a couple weeks ago. One yeah. of those two things will probably happen. Like the first time we did instant reacts, I didn't know it was going to be like literally instant. Like I literally. What's the okay. name of the show? Is there some confusion? <laughs> it was literally, okay, game's over. I'm going to go upstairs. And like three minutes later, I'm on and I see been recording three minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. So the next time I'm available, I literally, with a couple minutes left in the game, Turn off my TV, go upstairs, finish it on the computer so that I'm ready to go. And I'm sitting there like, I haven't gotten a link. I haven't gotten a link. Oh, he posted it to our Twitter page. Okay, so he's going to be going live here soon. Well, how do I get in? Oh, he is live and I still don't have a link. I text you. Look, that man, I've got stuff going on. <laughs> all right. I'm very busy here. I can't be bothered with your trivialities. Took you 15 minutes. We got it done. Don't worry. We got it in. 
we're, we're, we'll be fine. I look, it's preseason for everybody. All right. <laughs> now it's going to be week one, regular season. We're going to be good. So we'll be there all year long after the game. If it's Sunday, if it's Thursday, if it's Monday, whatever, after the game, we will have that show on the Niners nation pages. Like I said, if you can't make that show for whatever reason, don't worry. We also turn it into a podcast. So it'll be there for you whenever you consume it. But we like the instant reaction because you guys can comment and, you know, we can respond and it's kind of an informal type of thing. So, all right, Levin real quick on the way out. Final record prediction for the Niners. 12 and five. 12 and 5. I'm at 11 and 6. Enjoy it, everybody. And we'll talk to you on Sunday after the game.